So how have the last uh, few days been? Um, dreadful. Dreadful, yeah. Yeah, shocking and sad and there, are, there aren't enough adjectives. Yeah. I, I mean, um, I've just been seeing stuff that's coming through and it's just the actual feeling of lying in your bed and being woken up with explosions going over next door or somebody knocking down or going to a festival and thinking you're having a yeah. great night out. Yeah, it's it's something we don't expect here. I mean, the shellings we're kind of used to, obviously. We're aware and we're on constantly alert to to the possibility of an attack here or there. But yeah, you're, so you're in, you're in Tel Aviv. Yeah. So when you sort of say that you're used to it, I mean, I mean, we had like a year or two ago, we yeah. had a shooting in a, you know a couple of a terrorists with a AKs or a, some other automatic rifle uh, roaming the streets here. We were locked up for a few hours indoors. The last operation two years ago, that was the first night was dreadful. We got, Tel Aviv got hit by, well, hundreds of rockets got sent our way. And that was like, you know, we were terrified. The reports here was it was between three and 5,000 rockets that were sent. Yeah, most of them hit the south of the country. Yeah. The surrounding, the belt surrounding the Gaza Strip gets hit the hardest. They're uh-huh. always under attack. People there probably have about fifty percent PTSD rates among the children. It's you know they they live in shelters basically. We're not <laughs> we're 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 expecting it, but we're not not, uh, to, the, not to the level it was. Yeah. Thanks very much for joining us. My name's Ian Stroud. And my name is David Malone. And this is Hyperland. Uh, tonight, we, Ian and I have invited on uh, uh, an old friend of mine, yeah. Kostya, who lives in Tel Aviv in Israel. And for obvious reasons, we were talking and thought that it would be great to hear from Kostya his own impressions of what's going on and just talk to him a bit about the, the situation. Kostya and I have been talking about the situation in Israel uh-huh. for, well, last couple of years, um, and obviously things have now changed. So, uh, Kostya, thanks very much for coming on. appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Tell us how it's been today, at least. I mean, today has been relatively quiet. We got shelled a few times, a few rockets managed to land, some very near where my friends live. Uh, But for the most part, we've only had a few relatively mild interruptions to our days. Uh, (laughs) I've never heard someone call a rocket attack a relatively mild interruption to their day. It's, you get you you develop a a different kind of a, you recalibrate yeah. Uh, your uh, expectations for mild and calm and peaceful and, <laughs> and stressful living in a place like this. Wow. Okay. Well, listen, um, apart from just wanting to know how it feels, you know, for you, how is it, how has it changed the, the sort of tenor of political discussion? Because you and I have been talking about what's been going on and the discussion, political discussion around Netanyahu and all of the the reforms and in inverted commas to the judiciary. Has has all of that now changed? 
Today in the Judicial Committee or uh, the uh, legis Legislative Committee of the Knesset, of the Israeli Parliament, they uh, were discussing passing uh, and they uh, voted on some more uh, of the so-called judicial reform laws, uh, or as the protesters call it, uh, the, the judicial coup, uh, to put it mildly. Is that giving more power to, to the sort of military? No, it has not. It's giving the main purpose of these laws is to cripple the the judicial branch, right? And and eliminate all uh, all judicial and bureaucratic oversight, right? And um, so more of a dictatorship. I wouldn't call it a dictatorship. I don't personally believe that uh, Netanyahu is a dictator, right? But I'm glad you said that. <laughs> I really don't believe that Netanyahu is a dictator or uh, someone who has uh, dictatorial aspirations. Right. But they have been trying him with a, a lot of pressure from the more, from the very right wings of his government, uh, trying to curb the powers of the judicial to to oversee and limit what the government can do. Right. Um, uh, it, it, to, to give it a bit more of a, I don't know if it's a theoretical, but kind of a, a little bit of a framework, it, Israel is a very uh, strange country in that we have a, we, we're a parliamentary democracy, but it's, the power really lies with government, yeah. purely. The coalitions in the last couple of decades, definitely, are very much obedient. Uh, definitely in the last decade, the, the the government decides and the coalition passes passes the laws or it breaks apart and we've seen that happen multiple times the 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 government the, the will have elections once a year in 2019 we had them three times and and the government wants to do what governments do and it's expand its reach and wield more and more power uh, why those particular individuals, particular movements, political movements want that is uh, due to a, a desire to circumvent circumvent whatever remains of the uh, human rights, international law, uh, anything that is looking outwards. Yeah. Um, but that has, I don't know if it's it's been killed by this event. I don't know if it's possible for, for, for those people to stop. As I said earlier, they tried to pass a few more of those uh, little uh, presents earlier today. Yeah. But the anger is rising because this is not the time. Uh -huh. <laughs> when you, when you say anger, do you mean the anger of those opposing Netanyahu's government? Yes. And I think they are now being perceived by very many people as not only corrupt and and power hungry, but also as more and more they're perceived as incompetent. Um, I don't know if this sentiment will uh, will hold. We'll see yeah. what happens in the next few days, few weeks and months. But at the moment, there are the the chatter is not pleasant in a lot of in in a lot of parts of the society. Yeah, hmm, that's interesting because I mean I've been talking to Ian earlier about whether this is going to play out the way it did for Mrs. Thatcher's government with the Falklands, where she was in trouble 
Um, and then the Falklands War comes along and suddenly she can drape her and her government in the, the Union Jack. And it's not to say that everyone f- f- forgot that they didn't like her, but enough people sort of put their arguments with Mrs. Thatcher on hold or made them second. And from the sounds of it, you're saying, well, that's not going to be the result of this for Netanyahu. I don't know what I don't know what will happen in the future. What I'm talking about is more long term. In the yeah. in the sh- near term, there will be no change in government. No, I don't think it's possible right now. Uh, what is possible is that we will have a broad unity government uh, mm-hmm. with centrist parties joining, because you know the Falklands War was very far away from Britain. Yeah. And while previous wars or operations or uh, escalations, Mm. whatever term you may use, uh, have uh, at times strengthened the the reigning government, this situation is different. Right. This is an unprecedented event in our our collective memory. I think that was my fear, uh, um, was seeing a lot of the imagery coming out, I mean... It was appalling. It was, you know, I, I don't see how anyone can celebrate um, something like this. I mean, it's it's been a 75 to 100 year conflict that has been going on. But my fear was that it would just give more power to to serve Net and I can never say his name. Net and Yeah. Um, to retaliate. I don't think you need Netanyahu for that. Right. Yeah. We are, whatever divide has been growing in Israeli society over the last few months, almost a year, and the years before that, obviously, this has all been brewing under the surface for quite a while. All of that has been put aside on on, on the ground because people have come together. We have more than 100% of the reserved duty uh, fulfillment. So pe- people volunteering, there has been a, yeah. an enormous civil society drive to step in where the government isn't operating, right. to, to uh, care for those who need care, to whether it's psychological services right. or a distribution of necessary supplies of food but also militarily. Yeah. I think I wrote to David on, on the first day that this is a Pearl Harbor class event for us. This is not some faraway war and this isn't some regular escalation. Yeah. This is this is even more than a 9/11 for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the latest figures show somewhere close to 1000 dead. Um just today we had a, a kibbutz, kibbutz Kfarazad, yeah. uh, one of the surrounding. They, they let in reporters to, to film before, uh, international reporters to film before clearing out the bodies that they found dozens of dozens and dozens of children dead, decapitated. Oh. They've, uh, this is something that has struck every Israeli in the very core, there is not a one person here who is not afraid. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
I mean, one of the things that's worth talking about is what you and I have been discussing for the last few months, because I remember saying to you months ago that you know, I saw Netanyahu as the sort of the extreme right wing figure who was pushing everybody and pushing the government. And your point to me was, which took me by surprise, you said, actually, I think he's not the extreme. He's the last voice of moderation was sort of the phrase you used, which completely blindsided me. Can you tell us what you meant by that? Netanyahu has always been a very pragmatic leader. I mean, like him or hate him, he, the man's brilliant. He is the longest service, serving prime minister of Israel. He has steered us through many uh, crises and uh, some quite successfully. And while he is definitely right wing and he is definitely a believer in the right of Israel to, to, to expand, to, to solidify its control, I think it, it would be a mistake to view him as this, this, this sort of radical extremist. What right. his goal has been, and I think until now, it's been quite successful, is to con contain the different boiling points, the different pressure points of a life here in order to build a country or a, to, to, to maintain a country and grow it as a, on the one hand, very strict military occupier in the West Bank. And on the other hand, as a fairly successful, calm and peaceful, very successful, to be honest, a liberal democracy or, or some sort of democracy, a Western style yeah. country. Um, with a with prosperity, financial prosperity, with tourism, and 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 that has worked. Yeah. Until now. Okay. What I mean by this particular government is that the problem Netanyahu's problem historically has been that he's he 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 cheats everybody out of what he promised them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and. Part, at least part of the reason why nobody of the none of the centrist parties, in, including Liber, Lieberman, who is was is also extremely right wing, aren't willing to sit with him in government, is that his or haven't been until now, is that he promised them things and didn't keep those promises repeatedly. Right. So Netanyahu, whether by choice, not by choice, I don't think. He got stuck with people who are much further to the to the right than he is. Yeah, and I, I, this isn't. <laughs> these are open secrets. We talk about it here all the time. He always had a, a knack, a talent for a, balancing his coalitions in such a way that he didn't have to do anything. <laughs> he didn't have to make those choices because he would take. Labour and the the right wing parties and maybe some centrist party and mix them up and they would balance each other out in their demands. Yeah. Right now, for the last year or so, that 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 mechanism has been missing. I mean, it does look from the outside that those really right wing and at least to my ears, 
certainly bigoted, if not racist elements, seem to have gotten into a position to power. Are you saying that they have had now more influence on Netanyahu's government? Yes, there are very extremist elements. If you, I don't know if you remember, but in the early 90s, the Israeli Knesset um, outlawed Meir Kahana's party and mm. anybody who subscribes to his ideology. Um, we have direct successes now sitting in government. Um, right. and, and tell us what his ideology was and what the, he is of these of these successes. They want to institute complete dom domination over the space. Uh, they want to uh, expel or uh, subjugate Palestinians. They are uh, outwardly racist, in, not in that kind of a haha funny way and not in that oh, I hate you way, but in a very concrete way. They just don't want the Palestinians there. I mean, I'll be honest with you, nobody does. Right. <laughs> and this isn't just Israel, nobody does. Yeah. I've heard a, a few years ago, I was watching some documentary or another, and there was one Palestinian a, activist there who said that the Palestinians are the Arab world's Jews. Wow. Yeah. Because nobody wants them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's become increasingly clear that lots of the states around Gaza and around the Palestinians in general, they they know they can't claim that the Palestinians' position is their top priority at all. They've got other priorities which the Palestinians don't seem to figure in, and when they do figure in them, it's to the extent that they're getting in the way, that they're causing an embarrassment, which is an appalling thing, but seems to be increasingly the way that other Arab states are reacting to the Palestinian question, or at least that's how it looks from this distance. I think that's pretty spot on. I mean, you, ha you, you can just look at the living conditions of Palestinians in refugee camps anywhere in the surrounding countries. They're appalling. Yeah. They, they're not merely second class. They have practically no rights. Whatever overtures or uh, claims these governments made in support of the Palestinians have never been in, the, in, in support of the Palestinian people. They, they were used as, as a political battering ram yeah, yeah. while it was convenient. What do you make of Hamas or Hezbollah? Are they, I mean, obviously you can't know much better than we can because you're, you know, you're on the other side of, Israel's war, but do they have really have the Palestinian people's best interests at heart, or are they continuing to use the Palestinian people as a political battering ram? I don't think Hamas has any interest in the actual Palestinian people. I think it, it's enough to look at what has been happening within Gaza under the Hamas control over the last well, almost de a decade and a half now, mm -hmm. to see how they brutalize their own population, how they p 
persecute any opposing views. I don't, and I don't mean the, the civil war they had there between Fatah and, uh, and Hamas for, for domination in, when was it, 2007, yeah. when they were uh, dragging them through the streets and hanging them. You know, that war is war, as they say. But I mean anything that has been happening since. Yes, okay. They are an, an, an Islamist extremist organization who have been made more extreme by by during the passage of these last few decades. Yeah. In Gaza, you've got not just Hamas, you've got Islamic Jihad in Gaza yeah. as well. Is that right? Yes. I think Hamas controls everything in Gaza. Right, okay. Like, I don't think, you know, we, we, we generally here don't think that a rocket gets launched without their approval. Yeah. And when it does, the, the response is swift. When, when they don't want an escalation, they, 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 they do what they can to stop it. I, I, I thought I was led to believe that Hamas were, were supposedly looking after the people. They were concerned with rights and working, and there were more people working in Israel and getting maybe 10 times what they'd be getting in Gaza. So there was there was... They felt as if there was something going on, though, which is which is, I think, why everyone was so surprised with what with what's happened. I think you need to separate. You can look at Hamas before two thousand and six and afterwards, yeah. before two thousand and seven and afterwards. Before, while uh, the the Fatah, the the, the Yasser Arafat's organization, uh, and and the PLO in general were uh, in control of Gaza. Yeah. They were a corrupt and an incompetent regime, while Hamas was doing what the Muslim Brotherhood did in Egypt. They yeah. were uh, providing the necessities for life of life for people. They were building schools. They were uh, distributing food, medicine, everything, and that got them a lot of support back then. But once they took power, they diverted all resources to line them their own ranks yeah. you know they they the 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 security forces in gaza oh, i don't know octupled basically yeah. they they if there were 5000 policemen in gaza before that there were there are 40000 policemen in in gaza now yeah or whatever i don't remember the the exact numbers but they've uh, they've basically continued to impoverish their own people yeah so i mean basically we've had um, an increasingly, I don't know what the right word is, intolerant or militant or expansionist um, Israeli um, government and an increasingly um, ideologically narrow and intolerant uh, uh, group in power in Gaza. And that it seems like it's two bunches of vaguely psychopathic shitheads Egging each other on. To use some technical term. <laughs> I think um, I don't think I I don't know if I'd use the word psychopathy. You know, I think you can. Uh, uh, You're right. It's a cheap word. I agree. <laughs> I you can look you 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 can find rationalizations for either point of view. And but they they both ha have their own internal logic. Um, I think Israel's internal logic became much clearer to the world in, during the past few days. 
and I think Hamas's internal logic is also should be at least fairly clear. They are they they do want to take over the West Bank, and they do want to take over Israel. That, that that's not up for debate. They are not here for coexistence, and they're and they're not here to establish you know a, a friendly liberal and democratic regime yeah the the two states that isn't an option i think that's dead yeah the, uh, the, this is perhaps the final nail of that coffin yeah i mean but, israel in in the last i don't know how many months or so have been getting more agreements with countries in the area do you think this this and what david sort of said earlier is it seems as if a lot of the arab states were sort of you know, the Palestinians, they're kind of getting in the way. We, we can get on now. Do you think that was maybe the reason why it's all all erupted? And there's been a lot of talk about Iran being behind, although they've said definitely they're not behind any of this. In the last few weeks, we've been uh, getting a lot of diplomatic chatter and uh, reports of a, a potential establishment of relations between Israel and Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, which would be, and Saudi Arabia is basically the, the strongest power broker in the Arab world and one of the strongest, if not the strongest in the entire Muslim world. This escalation, we have almost unanimous agreement in, on that here and abroad also has a lot to do with it. Neither Iran nor Hamas want to be sidelined and have their two. Iran doesn't want its two biggest enemies to become friendly. Yeah, officially friendly. Yeah, I mean, so I, I mean, are we suggesting that that there are um, larger power plays going on, which are in some way either manipulating what's going on between? Israel and the Palestinians, or um, at least overshadowing it. I mean, because you know the president, the U.S. has has always had a staunch opposition to it to Iran, that and the other Arab nations like, well, certainly Saudi. I'm not quite so sure about Qatar. Um, they dislike Iran intensely. Is this overshadowing and manipulating what's going on, do you think? In what way? How do you think? I, I don't know what to think because there are so many moving parts. I mean, I, I was talking to um, somebody else I know who knows a great deal about this, um, um, and they wouldn't tell me a great deal, but they're fond of making dark pronouncements. So they said one worry was that there were um, there were hawks in the US and hawks in Israel who would like to see a larger war against Iran and need a, need a pretext. They need to somehow draw Iran into an actual conflict. Because it's one thing to say, right, let's have a war with Iran and just declare it. It's very difficult. You need a sort of Gulf of Tonkin kind of thing. So if you could somehow draw people into thinking that Iran was already involved in an actual conflict, whether it's in Syria or or in Gaza, then you can do that. 
Do you think that sounds far-fetched or do you think that there are players? I think that who... sounds a little bit far-fetched. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't I know. So. <laughs> I wouldn't know on the, <laughs> I, I, I don't think, definitely not this government, in the, not this president in the US and not these bureaucrats, they wouldn't orchestrate something like this. I don't mm -hmm. think anybody behind the scenes would want anything like this. You know, if the, if somebody, Israel doesn't need a reason for provocation. Like in, when we wanted to bomb Iraq, we, we, we made the plans. Yeah. <laughs> when we wanted to bomb the, the nuclear reactor in Syria, we just did. Yeah. And I think it's pretty much everyone in Israel is in agreement that we can't just bomb the nuclear reactors in Iran and that we don't have the backing of the United States on this. Yeah. And I don't think anybody would want to make it happen this way. I certainly hope not. Good. All right. Um, you were saying, you know, that that was the nail, possibly the last nail in the coffin of the two-state solution. But what other solutions can there be other than just saying, well, it's going to be like this? And because uh, it, the this we're talking about is sort of tiptoeing towards a, quite a doomsday scenario, because if the worst excesses of the kind of the real right wing racists say, look, let's just bomb out Gaza and just keep bombing it until we're happy, it will be a crime against humanity, whatever the atrocities that have already been perpetrated the other way. Is there, surely there has to be some exit from that escalation. I think there are two questions here that you've uh, kind of combined into one. Uh, what possible solutions are there and what's going to happen now? Sure, yeah, of course. And I think what's going to happen now is that it, this is a <laughs> this is a fuck around and find out moment. Yeah. Uh, Israel's military doctrine has always been based on deterrence, yeah. And that has been <laughs> uh, <laughs> that has been punctured. <laughs> And uh, we, the, I, I don't see any, any possibility for anything to happen other than a very extensive operation. Uh, I don't know if it will be just bombings, if there will be a ground troops entry into Gaza, whether somebody will try to take over it. And I don't know whether that would be a good thing or a bad thing, because yeah. frankly, I don't think that the Hamas regime should continue. Not because I think that would be convenient for Israel, but I just don't think that Hamas regime has done anything to advance the cause of the Palestinian people. It has done nothing to advance the, the, the to, to better the lives of anybody, not Jewish, not Israeli, not, not Arab, Palestinian. And I think it's possible that they will, they will attempt, attempt to remove them. Yeah. How, what will be the consequences? I don't know. Now, the second question, what are the long-term solutions? Gosh. Good luck with that because we've been trying to sort <laughs> out for the last 75 years. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know if there is one. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I don't think that there's, it's, that, that, that it's possible to, look, 
the West Bank will never get even a semi-autonomy that was possible just last year because of the example of Gaza. Yeah. You need to understand, Gaza is in the south of the country. That's like, you know, an hour's drive away from me. Yeah. That's like an hour, and a, an hour and a half drive away from me. The West Bank is 20 minutes away. Yeah. If if the West Bank, if militants in the West Bank, if Hamas in the West Bank, for example, or any other organization gets the same capability, even a fraction of the capabilities that Hamas in Gaza has, they will be shelling Tel Aviv all the time. Yeah. Nobody will ever allow that to happen. Yeah. And and from um, from the north, from Lebanon, there's been a lot of the Israeli military were were moved up there, were they not? Yep, we're uh, we, we we're not thinking that it will be calm there. Yeah. In fact, it 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 already isn't. There are mutual fire is being exchanged across the border, bombings and. People in the northern regions have been warned to prepare their uh, shelters. Um, everybody in the country has prepared their shelters. Uh, but yeah, we, we, it, it is very likely that Hezbollah will, will, will enter this conflict with full force. You think Hezbollah will, will break common cause with Hamas, at least insofar as they're both going to attack Israel? That's very likely. Yeah, we are we we are potentially looking at a at a two front kind of conflict. Yeah, war, war basically. This is this is we're we're not even thinking of this here as a, as a conflict. We're, this is war. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this and the, and the, if that happens, there will be no no not, there will be no breaks involved. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there's been a, a, again in the the press and certainly in the UK, they've been talking about um, Turkey, Qatar, and Egypt are all being spoken about about oh they're going to come in and calm everything down, but it, it it just for me it doesn't seem as if it's going to be a possibility that that How? Israel as a, as a, as a, a nation is kind of sort of saying, no, we're, we're, we're going to look after our borders. Thank you very much. But, but in addition to that, the, the, the Arab states wouldn't allow that. I mean, uh, in, the Saudis absolutely detest Qatar. I mean, it was only a couple of years ago they suddenly declared overnight Qatar to be a terrorist state. Yeah. <laughs> so they're not going to sit back and say, yeah, let's let Qatar be a world player. And I mean, for their own completely separate cynical reasons, that's not going to happen. And well, Qatar, pardon, David, pardon me, David, is a plays a, a dangerous game of dancing in a, on two we, two yeah. weddings. Yeah. So they're uh, they're Sunni Muslim with uh, Saudi Arabia, and then there's that they have their their relations with with Iran are better than lukewarm. Yeah. Yes, of course. Well, they share the world's largest gas field. <laughs> well, that, that, that's, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's where a lot of speculations come. I mean, the, it's the second largest gas field in the world in Iran, the first in Russia. So, of course, what's happening in Russia? There's a lot of conspiracy theories that there's a connection to winter's coming, and if we can get get into Iran to get access to those oil, uh, gas fields, but I, I can't really see that connection. I don't think I don't think that's a real possibility. No, I, I think this. I think in in the grand political 
game, the global political game. Uh, this has more to do with the uh, with. I, I definitely not an axis of evil versus the versus the good guys, but you know <laughs> this is a more of a a long term game that that is built around the two superpowers of today, the U.S. and China. Yeah. And the relations between Saudi Arabia and uh, Israel that were supposed to happen, they might still, I don't know. They have more to do with a with an American uh, plan to 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 kind of fight back against the Belt and Road plan that, that China has been executing in yeah. the last few years. Yeah, sure. And China and Qatar has been much more a part of that than Saudi ever would be. Yeah, and it was Qataris who who opened the uh, exchange for, for settling contracts in oil and maybe gas as well, I can't remember, in Yuan. And it was that, as far as I could see, which triggered the sudden declaration by Saudis saying Qatar were a, a terrorist state. It, it was the opening of that um, settlement bank and facility for the Chinese. And so I agree with you that, that there is this great power struggle going on. But if 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 you're you're right and that not only is there an all-out war between Israel and Hamas fought out in you know on the over the bodies of people in Gaza, and uh, if Hezbollah gets involved as well, surely the U.S. is is not going to for domestic reasons going to be able to step back from that, but is going to be drawn in. Do you not think? The USS Gerald Ford, the USS aircraft carrier yeah, yeah. Gerald Ford <laughs> and its squadron of uh, supporting players the warships and everything is already or maybe already has made its way uh, to Israeli shores yeah yes I mean it was there a while ago it was just moved closer I mean that uh, well it's 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 in the Mediterranean fleet of the US yeah. I think uh, but it's been moved closer as a signal. And I don't know if it will get involved, but uh, but Jordan has already opened its airports for uh, American air aircraft to assist if need be. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask? So, a, a kind of, yeah. From my point of view, I'm a, I'm a little bit interested, really, from your take of we we can talk about Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad as these terrorist organizations and enemies of Israel, but the the where where do the Palestinian people fit in? That's a good question. Um, Hezbollah has been very busy over the last few decades establishing its dominance in the in Lebanon, which is one of the most tragic countries in the world, if you ask me. Yeah. Uh, it used to be described as the Switzerland of the Middle East, mm -hmm. and now it's it's beyond balkanized it is so poor and uh, the entire southern part of it is completely controlled by hezbollah they've uh, um, they've definitely established themselves as one of the premier military forces in the neighborhood uh, absolutely after their extensive experience in the syrian civil war yeah um but have they done anything for the Palestinians? I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> I'd say no. I think I think 
I don't know. You know, maybe they do intend to do right by their own people after they win this battle, this war, this uh, whatever. We, I don't know what victory would look like. I don't want to think about that. No, no. <laughs> but, but maybe they would. I don't know. I wouldn't hold my breath. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the parallel question to that is where does this leave the Israeli people as well? Because you, we've talked a lot about the various political parties and the, 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 the various ideologues and, and what they went, what they want. But, the, but on both sides, there are just ordinary people being killed. Is there no way or no, no way or no, no real organized desire to find a way out of this other than simply killing each other? Long or short term? Well, let's talk about the short term. No. Mm. I, so, I, I, I think... You think the, there's just going the, to be a paroxysm of, of, of killing and hatred for a while until the usual people become exhausted with that? I think that even the people who aren't out for revenge understand and, and agree that the situation as it has been in the last few years can't continue. And and this is not a left or right thing. The the, the situation is untenable. Yeah. I, I, I have I, I cannot stress this enough. <laughs> the situation where the PLO controls the West Bank and basically tenuously but cooperates with Israel and has some limited autonomy there. And Hamas controls Gaza. And like a rabid dog goes on the attack every once in a while, gets kicked in between the legs and bides its time until the next round. And we all pretend that this is normal while People die, but the conflict is kind of, you know, it's simmering. Mm. That has been now proven to be an impossible pipe dream. And people have been saying this for years in Israel, both on the very left and on, on the very right. Yeah. It's a very um, centrist position here to kind of uh, maintain the situation, maintain the, the status quo. Um, this has definitely been... Bibi's Netanyahu's grand uh, operating scheme to kind of maintain the status quo as long as possible uh, until you have to deal with something and then, you know, you go back to business as usual. And that's done. Um, that, that is that is certainly done. But I mean, in amongst that, that status quo, has he hasn't been able to maintain the status quo because you have had more settlement ex settlers expansion and it 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 has been more that the the, the yeah. intolerant part of um israeli society has become more strident so he, he was losing control of that and so surely part of the failure of that certainly there's been a failure on the side of the palestinians but surely there's also been a fairly dismal failure on the on the israeli side as well well, I think the question is, how do you, do you define the status quo? Where, where the, the, the status quo that has been very much accepted here as, uh, as right is that 
there's the there's the core part of the status quo, which is you know no Palestinian state because we can't allow that to happen, uh, for all the reasons I said earlier, and uh, no massive confrontations, no movements toward peace, no nothing. That has been a strategy of many regimes here. Um, but the details, that's that's a different question. You know, left-wing governments still wouldn't want a, a left a Palestinian state here, but they are, as Robin did in Oslo and uh, and, and as Olmer tried and others have tried, uh, there have been overtures and attempts to kind of uh, move the peace process along mm-hmm. while still maintaining this situation. Um, on the other side of it, the status quo means that, yeah, there, there's no Palestinian state and we'll keep building and we'll keep controlling. And the, the status quo is definitely, you know, about the Israeli status quo is definitely about continued control. But that's not really sustainable, is it? I mean, that was never going to work. Well, that's why the very right wing, uh, uh, the brazen, bold, and stupid right wing, and those <laughs> are not the same category, uh, <laughs> uh, have been outwardly saying for years that this cannot continue. There, there will be bloodshed, and we need to take the first step. We need to strike first. You know, first strike first. Yeah. <laughs> yes, thank you, Ian. While on the left, on the very left wing, people have been saying this cannot continue, there will be bloodshed, and we need to move towards peace. Those two, two sides are in agreement that the problem, that the problem yeah. is that this situation is untenable. So You're the, right. The status quo isn't a status quo, but the, the answer to any sorting it out, I mean, it, like I said before, I mean, nobody's had an answer. Well, there are very, there are, I, th- I think that, yes, there are, first of all, there are no good answers. Yeah. Absolutely. And n- none. I've, I've, I've been reading about this for years. I've uh, looked at every little uh, initiative that has happened. And, yeah. uh, you know, personally, I can say that, hey, I'm maybe some sort of confederation type arrangement would be a good idea. Maybe uh, a one-state solution would have been a good idea back in the day. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But... Well, unfortunately, the... there are <laughs> there are no proposals that seem like they could take place in this reality. Yeah. Well, the, the question then is, can Israel survive? We ask ourselves that question a lot, and um, that depends on, on, on many factors. Uh, I think militarily, yes. But definitely as long as it has the backing of the United States. But as a moral civilized entity, the place that you would want to live and bring your kids up, can it survive? There are many, many reasons to think that it can't survive. You know, even the the divisions within Israeli Jewish society itself, everything we talked about with a judicial reform, have those features are deep. They might get healed some by this, by the way, <laughs> uh, but those, those those are big cracks. 
Um, whether Israel can survive as a as a moral regime in the way it treats Palestinians? Well, I don't know. <laughs> as long as it has the backing of the United States, possibly yes. Yeah. Because, you know, unfortunately, most of the world is not a liberal democracy, and they managed to survive with their atrocities for decades. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's... The, the question is then whether Israel can survive as this prosperous, democratic, or a semi-democratic society. Um, I don't know. I think, you know, a, when, when it comes to Palestinians, there are three populations. There is Gaza, there is the West Bank, but there are also well, Palestinian citizen of, citizens of Israel, yeah. Israeli Arabs, who are uh, also not a monolith. And they are... Uh, have also they are also shocked and appalled by what what happened many of them are yeah um and i don't think that many of them want to live in a palestinian state uh, well not not one that's, <laughs> that's run by hamas anyway at least from what you've been saying so you know I, I, I don't know, David. I, I can't answer that question. No, of I course. Think... I mean, I just I ask you because you are, a, you know, um, you're a representative of young, hopeful, educated um, Israelis looking at what's going on around them. And so I, I, I take your opinions to be at least in some way indicative of the, a thoughtful part of Israeli society, the, the part of Israeli society that you would hope might get the upper hand. I mean, is it, is it too simple to say if Israel could rein in its um, more religiously fervent settlers that this would solve the problem, or is that just so simplistic that it's not worth? I think that is very simplistic. Those, you know, the divisions along the security and uh, and uh, war lines are, uh, are they're not limited to, to to this settler block or i don't know maybe about 10 percent of the population mm. uh, but voters of likud the reigning party uh, and uh, would never accept anything similar to the disengagement that brought us hamas controlled gaza and they would not support moves in the direction of giving Palestinians more of a possibility to, to inflict damage. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think uh, the, the, the ultra-Orthodox parties, and at least their voters, are moving rightwards politically and have been for many years. And again, the, even regular run-of-the-mill, high-tech working centrist Israelis, we all have friends and family who do get bombed very regularly, even in peaceful times. Yeah. So I I think it's not about reining in the, the religious settlers. If any step could be a first step towards a, you know, forget that. I don't have a first step. <laughs> I, don't I was even feeling have hopeful that. there for a second. I, I, I thought you were about to say that if, if any step could 
lead to something that was more peaceful, it would be a good step. Well, I, you know, this is a pipe dream, but yeah. I think uh, I think uh, a good step would be a, a peacekeeping force led by Arab regimes, Egypt and uh, Jordan and uh, hell, even Saudi Arabia, taking over the Gaza Strip and uh, establishing uh, something like um, post World War World War Two processes. Yeah. That would be a good step in the eyes of uh, of Israelis. Right. Well, I mean that that would, yeah, I can see that working as long as it, as long as there was some kind of Gaza version of the Marshall Plan, because yeah, it wasn't just that England, France, Russia, and America put down troops in in Germany. If that's all we'd done, then there'd still be fighting. But they said we have to rebuild it. Yeah. And no one, no one has attempted in any way to rebuild Gaza. It's no, no, just absolutely. a big prison. <laughs> You're absolutely right. It is a big prison and it is a, it's not a big prison. You remember Escape from New York? Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That was this a big prison. This is their life. This is, I'm not, I'm not kidding. This is their life. They're, yeah. uh, it's, it's dreadful there. And uh, and yes, I uh, absolutely. It's something uh, something like a Marshall Plan would have to take place, because then why hasn't it, Kostya? Because it's difficult to. I can't even if I try to put myself in the other shoes, come up with an argument about why that's a terrible thing. Who why wants to do it? Hasn't it? Nobody well, wants it. Nobody wants to deal with this problem. You know, when they, when Begin, the Likud prime minister, signed the, the peace treaty with the, what was it, with Sadat, with Egypt, the Egyptians didn't want Gaza. The Jordanians don't want the West Bank. Nobody wants to deal with this problem. Yeah. They're, all they happy, not... they're, they're all happy to sweep it under the Israeli rug. Yeah. Is, is, do they not want it because it's poor, so that if... There was a proper Marshall Plan, and they said we're going to pump money in there, proper money, not just hand it out to people so that they can put it in their private Swiss bank accounts, but somehow actually rebuild an infrastructure and industry and a way for people to actually make a living. Would they want it then, or do they not want it for other reasons? In other words, they wouldn't even want a wealthy, happy, prosperous Gaza. I don't think that people don't want a prosperous Gaza. I think, well, definitely. There are, I'm sure there are factions. I'm not, I'm not an expert or even particularly knowledgeable on the Arab world to know what goes on in the factionally in mm. the Egyptian army or uh, in Syria or Jordan or, or anything like that. But I'm sure that there are people who are happy to use the Palestinian people as a kind of some sort of bludgeoning tool to to kind of stir the pot every once in a while. Sorry for mixing metaphors. Uh, but uh, but I, 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 I'll put it this way. Imagine if on the other side of the globe, the regime in North Korea collapses. Mm. How do you unify the two Koreas? How do you rebuild it? Yeah. I don't think the South Koreans want to do that, even though they, 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 they say they do. Officially, they claim that they want a unified Korea. I think if that were to happen, they would be petrified. Because the, the, the expenditure 
of resources is unbelievable. This isn't some, you know, slap a few billion dollar bandaid on it and uh, and call it a day kind of situation. This is you you get the you need to get the entire surgical team all the teams from all the hospitals to operate on this perforated body. Yeah. And and as you say the problem is it even if it were just Gaza that would be an enormous problem but you have Lebanon and you have Syria um, now that we've been dropping bombs all over it and turning that into another sand pit. I mean, that's part of the problem, isn't it? That you know, there was an actual foreign policy name for turning Syria into a sand pit. And they've already done it in Lebanon. And one gets the suspicion that people are happy to see Gaza as a sand pit, just the place where you, you make a place that's attractive to all the ne'er-do-wells that you don't like, all the extremists that you don't like and have probably also managed to create. But you you give them a place where they're going to want to be so you can keep a, an eye on them. That's what the sandpit idea was. And it just looks like it's growing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know if you can connect Gaza and the Palestinians in this way. I don't think the Palestinians are... Uh... A, a jihad destination in the same way the Chechnya or a, or or Syria were uh -huh. in the in their heyday. Um, mm. I think they have enough cuckoos of their own. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I I I honestly think that this is just such a mess that they just don't want to. They just. What would what will Egypt do with it? Egypt has 80 million people. I think they 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 have an extremely young population. I think the average age is is somewhere in the 30s. Yeah. Uh, if if like low 30s, uh, I, they are mostly rural. They have no jobs. They sometimes have very little food, and they have a brewing water crisis with Ethiopia. You're expecting 2.2 million people in Gaza to come into Egypt, and like you said, it's had the big stirring pot. It's not going to work, is I, it? Even if they don't take them in, if they they don't have the money or resources yeah. to send them, Jordan doesn't. The only people who do are the Gulf states. Yeah, and uh, well, I'm, you know, I've never worked in the Gulf states, but a lot of people do have and. The stories are pretty unanimous. That the work is not done by Saudis. Oh no, 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 no. that's true. I have people who work there. I yeah. know people who work there for years, and yeah, I mean, it's um, it's one step away from a slave economy. Yeah, they and and I've heard like I I had I have a mate who said that that their company paid Saudis because they have to, but they paid them extra to not come into the office. <laughs> <laughs> because they 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 don't do work and they don't want to. They they they're an oil oil oligarchy. Yeah. They don't they don't need to 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 roll up their sleeves, and I don't think anybody anybody wants to roll up their sleeves for Palestinians. Yeah. Well, um, we could continue um, talking about this, but I don't think we'd get anywhere. Um, it is. One way or the other, it's going to be down to 
young Palestinians and young Israelis to sort this out. Otherwise, one or other of you is not going to be living in the Middle East. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how long we can maintain this. A few decades at most. And I don't mean like close to a century. I mean a few. But I, I don't know. This is, as far as I can see, a very hopeless situation. Uh, long term and uh, short term, it's going to get very bloody. Yeah. Listen, Kasia, thank you for um, talking to us. Uh, I, I wish it had been a more uplifting conversation, but it's it's good to hear opinions from inside Israel rather than those that get mediated through our our press, which has its own agenda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, what are they saying in your press? Um, well, it depends who you read, but um, at least in something like The Guardian, which is, I would say, the sort of the official voice of the globalist progressives. That's how I think, well, certainly how I see them. They're saying that Hamas's actions are, there's no excuse for them, full stop, um, but that you can't ignore the slightly longer term context of of the um, the rise of Hamas that that unless one looks at what has been happening in Gaza and the the rightward march of Israeli politics that you're not going to tell the story accurately. So at least they're saying one has to look at both sides and both sides have contributed to the situation we're in now. Um, and within that, they're saying everyone says the U.S. has to sort this out, which which would make me smile if it didn't make me want to cry because the thought of a senile Biden or an idiot Trump sorting anything out is just visible. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> how the U.S. could sort uh, any of this mess out. I don't know how anybody could, but uh, I just want to leave with uh, one last point then. And, um, in, in, in certain important ways, like that Hamas is the fault of Israel, not their anger, not their actions, not but their, but their continued rule. Um, I think part of uh, the, the, the strategy for at least some of the more uh, hawkish and settler-oriented parts of uh, the ruling coalitions here has been maintaining this separation between Gaza and the West Bank um, by having two different ruling forces in each one. Mm -hmm. And when you have that separation, you cannot have a peace process. Yeah. Too fractured. And, uh, and that strategy has also, I think, has come to an end now. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. We will. I, I, I wish there were more voices like yours in some position of authority, but um, there aren't. Don't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, if there were more people uh, like us in positions of authority, uh, maybe things would be a little bit better. But, you know, it's just not how the way the world works. Who was it that said that you should never let uh, anybody rule who actually wants to rule? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Uh, well, listen, we talked about the Palestinians, we talked about the Israelis, we talked about America. I wonder what Europe should be doing, but we'll talk about that another day. Sure thing, David. Costa, thank you very much for, for coming on. It's been lovely talking to you. Yeah, thank you, Ian. Thank you, David. Sending you love and hope, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Take care.